One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts, and society. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by two excellent guests, Sarah Ellison, a staff writer for The Washington Post and author of War at the Wall Street Journal, and Matthew Dancona, an award-winning columnist who is a former deputy editor of The Sunday Telegraph and former editor of The Spectator. And today, we're going to discuss the cover story in this month's prospect, which Matt has written, uh, which hits the newsstands uh, this very day. And the, the story uh, is called Bad News how Murdoch and Fox are wrecking U.S. democracy. Uh, and in his essay, Matt writes about how the legal documents in a defamation lawsuit against Fox News drew back the curtains on the channel in the days after the 2020 U.S. election when its hosts repeatedly gave airtime to an outright fiction that Biden had stolen the presidency. Now, I'm going to turn to you first, Sarah, if you can give us some context uh, about Fox News and its significance in the media media and political ecosystem in the states how important is it as a news channel fox is is the most powerful media outlet in the country by far partly because of the brilliance of the late roger ailes who sort of co-founded fox news with rupert murdoch over 20 years ago he came up with a formula that all the other news organizations in the United States were what he saw as sort of left or center left. And he said, they can all fight over that half of the country. We'll take the other half. And for many years, there were no competitors to Fox News. And so what you have is this sort of, what you have had is a sort of monopoly over the conservative half of the United States. And so what Fox is able to do is, and Ailes did this brilliantly, and it's actually faltered a bit since 2016 when he died. Fox has just been able to monopolize Republican um, politicians and Republican talking points. And for what, what Ailes actually was able to do is sort of run the Republican Party from Fox News. And what he created is in some ways, a Republican Party that is built for sound bites and for television much more than for policy or actual governing. And so that has just had an enormous influence on the way the entire country is run and never more than during Donald Trump's presidency. And just for a further bit of context for, for UK listeners, many of whom probably haven't seen Fox News in some time, can you just describe how Fox played a part in in the rise of Donald Trump and uh, 
the extent to which it, I mean, it it describes itself as fair and balanced. Whether that was intentionally ironic or not, we don't know. But to what extent was it regarded as a reliable media organization as opposed to a political organization? I mean, was its reporting considered as opposed to the talk shows? As opposed to the talk shows like, you know, Today Show or those other kinds of mainstream outlets. Um, Unlike in the UK, where my impression in any case is that all of the papers to a degree and the, the media organizations sort of comfortably sit somewhere on the political spectrum. In the United States, there, you know, we had three big television networks for a very long time that all really hoped to be entirely objective. So when Roger Ailes launched Fox News and came up with the tagline, fair and balanced, he was you know, now he, I think of him as this sort of original troll calling Fox fair and balanced and knowing that it wasn't and yet never admitting that fact. So Fox was seen, I mean, it was absolutely, it, it was built as a media critique. And Republicans for many, many years always felt that they never got a fair shake from the mainstream press. And so if you ask a Republican politician, you'll say that Fox is the only outlet that's actually willing to tell the truth. So it really depends on who you ask. What, what Fox News did for Donald Trump was provide his first sort of reliable um, political megaphone. And Fox did that through its morning show called Fox and Friends, which is a fairly light program. And what they did was they invited Donald Trump on weekly. He had a standing weekly call-in invitation from Fox and Friends. And that started in about 2011. And what he was able to do is really launch the birther conspiracy. And that, by what I I mean by that is... um, the conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was not born in the United States and was in fact um, born in Africa and had faked his birth certificate and was a Muslim. And that was something that Donald Trump really workshopped over the course of many months and years um, on Fox and Friends. And so while he had gained great celebrity in the United States through the reality show Celebrity Apprentice, he, his pivot to politics came on Fox News. And, and it, was, it was just a very comfortable outlet for him. They, they, and, and if any of your listeners have heard him speak, it, it was, they gave him just open airtime. And it was a meandering, um, friendly conversation where he really was able to hone the message. So that's my... I mean, I can tell you a bit more about what happened in the later years when he actually launched his presidency. But well, I, yeah. I think that's that's the background that, that we need to understand the umbilical link between the Trump movement and Rupert Murdoch's uh, uh, flagship channel and and how they depended on each other. Because I think, for the purposes of what we're going to talk about today, 
we can jump straight to the uh, the aftermath of the election or the, the, the as the results came in and perhaps I'll turn to you Matt and uh, and can dis- describe from what we now know of um, what was going on inside Fox both the news side uh, and the commentary side in the days after it became apparent to um, a, a sizable majority of the American people that Trump had lost. So, so on election night, um, ironically enough, the story starts with a an example of journalistic excellence, which is that Fox News, in collaboration with the Associated Press, had created this very state-of-the-art exit poll survey system. And Murdoch was very keen on this because uh, he believed that it would give Fox News an advantage on election night, calling states accurately first. And very early on, the Fox decision desk called Arizona, which was in a very important state, contributed 11 votes to the Electoral College, who required 270 to win, for Biden. And this was a big moment because it suggested that you know, Biden was provisionally at least on course for victory. And it indeed proved to be the case that Arizona had, had voted for Biden. So in traditional journalistic terms, it was um, a really good moment for Fox News. It had actually dispa- it dispatched its journalistic duty. But the Fox News audience almost instantly went crazy. Um, uh, they really, really couldn't believe that of all the, the, the channels and all the news platforms that they might have been uh, looking at and reading and watching, Fox would call Arizona for Biden. And so instantly, from, the, from that, that moment, that sort of collision moment on election night, you have this sort of battle between, on the one hand, Fox's notional duty to tell the truth and the easily enraged audience it has created um, over the last 25 years who who are on the whole devoted followers of Trump and the make America great again creed and and they are they are instantly infuriated. So the reason we're talking about this today is that in the days following the election a number of contributors appeared on Fox News and blamed the result on rigged machines and that has led to two defamation suits for billions of dollars by these companies who are claiming that they were libel, there was nothing wrong with the machines, and that Fox has caused them huge damage. And the stage we're at at the moment is that thousands of documents of internal discussion within Fox News about what they were broadcasting have come to light, and that has produced a very revealing picture of how this news organization operated. Sarah, perhaps you can pick up the story at that point and tell us what what the the most telling of these documents has revealed. Sure. Well, if we go to that moment um, that we've just discussed on election night and the call from Fox's decision desk, um, that interrupted the that interrupted the Trump narrative that he was going to win. He had planned to announce that he was going to win no matter what. And and with his great ally, Fox News, um, saying that he ha- hadn't won, um, he was immediately enraged. His 
followers were immediately enraged. And they both, those two, both Trump and his followers sort of went to war with Fox News. And what you see from these internal messages inside Fox from their on-air personalities, their, you know, their opinion hosts, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, um, and even some, and their executives, they go into a panic about how this incredibly important, I mean, there's never been a relationship in the United States between a news outlet and a president as there was between Fox News and Donald Trump. So what you hear from the awning, I mean, there are just so many, I'm trying to find the most interesting, trying to think of the most interesting texts, but they're saying immediately they start to panic that their viewers are are leaving and are going to stop watching Fox. I guess, Alan, the thing is, is that even leading up to it, what, what these documents show that's kind of incredible is that some of the hosts were so eager to leave Donald Trump behind. They internally thought he was going to lose. Tucker Carlson, who is, you know, was for many, many months the most popular host on Fox News, he says, right the day of the election, the day after the election, he says, we are very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. This is the stunning thing about these. I think he, he, think he says, he, I hate him passionately. He says, I hate him emails. passionately. He's a demonic force. He's a destroyer. But it's, it's, it's an, the amount of vitriol that is directed at Trump is completely different from what you see on the air. Because on the air, virtually no one, I mean, they're lauding Trump. Um, but what's interesting is that as much as they, as much as some of these hosts wanted to get away from Trump, then they see the havoc that he's wreaking and they start to get angry at the decision desk for making the call. So you know, Laura Ingram says at one point, we are all officially working for an organization that hates us because the opinion hosts are trying to sort of still cater to the Trump audience and the decision desk is desperate to have them cling to some sense of reality. Basically, you're describing an organisation at this point that is riven in two uh, and above, at the top of the, the apex of this organisation are Rupert Murdoch, who is in the emails, and his son, Lachlan, who's the CEO of Fox News. And Murdoch... You can see you you can see is troubled because at one point he's saying Trump has lost. It's not like Murdoch ever likes to back a loser. He's sort of he's he said the numbers are against him, uh, and yet Lachlan Murdoch is watching his network disappear in, in flames. Matt, I, I suppose amongst the most significant things that stunned people was that. In these days afterwards, while while this organization was a more or less sort of civil war with itself, they were inviting onto the show people speaking on behalf of Trump or on behalf of his cause, who they knew were, I think the term was wackadoo. I mean, they, these were mad people, and yet they were allowing them to spout. Can you just describe... <laughs> 
this bifurcation between what the public was learning from Trump supporters and and what the conversation was amongst the the Fox staff. Well, it's worth saying in parenthesis that by this point, the the Trump court has kind of disaggregated. You know, people like Jared Kushner, who has been a big force in Trump's son-in-law and a key advisor has been a big force in, in the in the administration. It is putting a lot of distance between himself and 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 Trump. So there's a kind of gravitational pull which invites in uh, yet again the former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, who plays a sort of interim uh, intermittent role in Trump's story, and a very peculiar attorney called Sidney Powell, who is a conspiracy theorist, um, a very very. Um, a kind of fervent Trumpite. And Giuliani and Powell are invited repeatedly to um, air a conspiracy theory on Fox shows that actually had its roots in QAnon world, the, the, you know, the deepest, darkest conspiracy theory world of, in, in sort of the US right-wing ecosphere. And the idea was that the Dominion machines had all been fraudulently interfered with to ensure that Biden won and Trump didn't. And it was all done by um, an algorithm and that Dominion had its origins in the Venezuelan dictatorship and increasingly lurid and fantastic claims made by both Giuliani and Powell on air. Uh, And crucially, barely challenged. I think, you know, in the whole process, Tucker Carlson was probably the only presenter who said, well, you you know, what's the effect of, do you have receipts? I mean, where's the evidence? Other than that, presenter after presenter just allowed Giuliani and Powell to, um, to continue with this story, even after the Trump uh, regime itself had disavowed Sidney Powell. Um, because this was precisely the the kind of material that the um, enraged and you know deserting Fox audience craved in order to be pulled back, and and perhaps Sarah, you can just give an illustration of how uh, how mad Sidney Powell was. I mean, I, she, as I understand it, she had she claimed to have one source who was an artist who believed that the late. Supreme Court Justice Justice Scalia was murdered in a human hunting expedition. She was not what we might call or think of as a reliable source. Sidney Powell had actually been a lawyer that was reasonably well respected before this. And what what happened on election night is that she received what we have now come to call the wackadoodle email from a woman who admits it herself. I mean, those are the words that she uses. And I I would love to read the entire thing to your audience, but it would take the entire it would take the entire podcast. But it is, you know, she immediately sets off a million red flags. She hears things the wind speaks to her. She was internally decapitated as a child, but she lived. She believes that Justice Scalia was I mean she she has she has theories that are so outlandish that you would immediately just delete that email and not take anything from it. But what ends up happening is that Sidney Powell uses those, uses that email as the basis for her theory about how the election has been stolen. She sends that email to 
of Fox host called Maria Bartiromo, who in turn forwards it to her producer and to Eric Trump, who is one of Donald Trump's sons. Maria Bartiromo says she interviews Sidney Powell that day, which is election night, and then she has her on her show the next day. And Sidney Powell then, for the first time on Fox News, starts to spin this elaborate conspiracy theory about how there were votes that were switched on a mass scale from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. The reason this has even a patina of believability for the people out in America is that this was an election that happened in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and there was a lot of mail-in voting, much more than there would have been any other election. And so what you had is mail-in ballots are counted days later. And because Democrats actually believe that there was a pandemic and they wanted to stay home and didn't go to crowded voting stations, all the mail-in ballots, almost all the mail-in ballots were from Democrats. So in fact, election night, there were many more votes for Donald Trump, but in the days following, Joe Biden had many more votes for him. So the, the tallies did shift, but it had nothing to do with Dominion voting systems. And yet Sidney Powell went on air and sort of spun this elaborate theory. And then Fox had her on again and again on Maria Bartiromo's show, on Lou Dobbs's show. These are all hosts on Fox News. She had she was a guest on Tucker Carlson's show. She was a guest on Sean Hannity's show. She was a, a guest on um, Janine Pirro's show. But Sidney Powell has many appearances on Fox News and spins these elaborate theories consistently. And all the time, as we now know from the emails, they knew that she was, and I think I'm quoting from one of them, quotes, a complete nut. Yes. What what is stunning about these internal documents is that you see um, that Fox and all of the hosts not all of them, but many of them know that Sidney Powell is lying. They say, I mean, Tucker Carlson said Sidney Powell's a liar. They denigrate her to one another, but are terrified of saying that on the air because their audience believes what Sidney Powell is saying. And this is what Donald Trump is saying as well. So, the, so what you see is if Fox has for many decades run the Republican Party, now they are being run by their own audience who is captive to Donald Trump and his, his surrogates. And they're in this position where they are terrified to tell the truth. Matt, what, what did you deduce from these emails about what the Murdochs were doing at this time? Because Rupert Murdoch has testified in this, and I think he was, it was put to him that he could at any point have intervened and said listen, we have to stop. And I think he said words to the effect, I could have done that, but I didn't. He said exactly that. I said I could have, but I didn't, which is in a way the, the heart of the matter. Um, I suppose there were the, he was torn between two things. I think, as you mentioned, Alan, that he, he hates losers and hates being associated with them. And he knew perfectly well that Biden had won. He says as much repeatedly in, in various communications that we've seen in this in this tranche of documents uh, and let, let's never forget in this country in the uk he famously switched from the conservatives to blair in 1995 
when it was clear that Blair was heading for victory. So there's that. But then there's the economic imperative, which is that, um, you know, he, he is also conscious that Fox is dominant. Um, it's a very febrile marketplace, the, the, the media marketplace in, in, in the 2020s. And um, there are competitors emerging, most notably a sort of um, a low rent version of Fox called um, Newsmax which is is pure propaganda pure pure maga right wing propaganda um and from what's interesting is that from the very start of this process in the background um as much as the presenters are rubbishing sydney powell's claims the fox executives and murdoch father rupert and son lochlan are very very aware of the risk that Fox will lose its its audience to Newsmax or other uh, competitor channels, and that's a that for them is a, a you know a, a a clear and present danger. And um, you know Murdoch says everything is at stake. Uh, he can't afford to to lose the 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 Trump base. So the interesting thing in this, I think, is that he's not really frightened of Trump. He's frightened of his own audience. He has become. Murdoch has become hostage to the audience he and Ailes, Roger Ailes, created, um, which is a very, it's a very interesting position for a proprietor to find. I mean, every, every editor, every proprietor chases circulation. That's, that's nothing new. That's, that's the essence of... Yeah, rightly so, you know. But this is different. This is actually more like, um, you know... A, a man selling an opiate you know it's he, he's like they've become like the Sackler family in for Purdue pharmacy selling oxycontin to a nation of addicts it's a very odd um i i suppose unprecedented position for a, a senior proprietor to find himself in but that was where he was he was genuinely cowed by the fury of the audience that he had grown after the break we'll talk more about the impact fox news has had on democracy in the u.s if you enjoy our podcast and like to consume more of our journalism, well, of course, we encourage you to subscribe because a subscription unlocks full access to Prospect content across newsletters, web, app, and print. And right now, a subscription to Prospect costs as little as £1 a month. Visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and subscribe now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah, I'm going to turn to you on this because I'm, I'm very interested in the internal dynamics within Fox. So um, uh, I think one of the emails quite early on with Powell, you have Tucker Carlson saying this software shit is absurd. Um, Sidney Powell is nuts. And then Carlson uh, told his producer, Powell is lying, fucking bitch, he says in, in the emails. And yet n- none of them uh, put rams on the brakes. So they, m- they must have deferred upwards to ultimately Lachlan and, and Rupert Murdoch and thought, well, it's not in the interests of the company. I mean, Sarah, you've been writing about Murdoch and his organization for 20 years or more. I mean, given your knowledge of that company, how much did these emails surprise you? So, I mean, the first thing I would say just to um, build on something from your last question was that I think the best best metaphor for um, Fox's audience at this point is it's a sort of Frankenstein experiment. They've created something they can no longer control. And that that you sense very much from these internal messages. What's in some ways the internal messages are they're, they're shocking because you didn't think that it was such a um it, they're shocking in how honest they are, and yet they also confirm all of your... And what I find is that you think, oh, they actually do operate like that. I mean, it really, do, it really is that simple. Um, Rupert, at one point, Rupert Murdoch is talking to the editor of the New York Post, Call Allen, and saying, should we... He wants, he wants Donald Trump to stop making these claims because he wants Donald Trump to sort of heal and come back and admit that the election is, has not been stolen, that it's over, so that, that, that Fox can regain some kind of equilibrium and stop losing audience to this, um, to its rightward flank, which, by the way, is always what it's feared more than CNN or MSNBC or these other mainstream organizations. Fox has always been terrified of a, of a challenge to the right, what Rupert Murdoch says um, uh, to Cole Allen, the editor of the New York Post, he says, should we say something that Donald will hear? And so he tells the editor of the New York Post to sort of tell Donald Trump to stop making these claims. Cole Allen turns around and does that, writes an article um, that you know, tells, tells Donald Trump to move on. And then what we learn after that particular article has been written is that, in fact, members of the Trump family are contacting people inside Fox News to sort of um, complain and reinforce, complain about that message. And I guess what I mean to say is that there are lots and lots of denials that come out of Fox and come out of the Murdochs that they don't operate that the, way, the way that everyone thinks that they do. And what is stunning about these emails is that it actually sort of shows that what is on the air, I guess, 
I guess I am a bit surprised because what it shows is what's on the air is not something that people inside believe to be true. And it's not only in this particular case because the the dialogue between the opinion hosts um, is very self-aware. They're talking about the audience and Tucker Carlson says things like, um, we've worked, you know, the decision desk is destroying something we've, we've been worked 20 years to build, which is this incredibly loyal audience that you have to treat very carefully. If Because we're, we're, we're all in it together. We're in it with the audience. We're leading them along. They're following us, and we're telling them what they want to hear. Um, and it sounds like a cliche. We always say this, you know, the worst part of the news is telling people what they want to hear as opposed to what the truth actually is. And that is, in fact, what what these hosts have are doing and I, I guess um, the other thing, just as a reporter who has covered this organization, is that they're caught red-handed in messages about the way they're, they are messaging certain things. Um, Fox News fires two of the main people on the decision desk. Um, and at the time, I remember covering it, and it was clear that they had fired these two members of the decision desk as sort of throwing some 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 meat to the to the audience to, and and Rupert says in fact maybe we should let Bill Salmon go right now um it'll it'll keep it'll be a big gift to the Trump people and when you're when I was covering it in real time I had heard that this was happening that they were going to fire these two members of the decision desk and Fox was saying well this is just part of a reorganization <laughs> of the department, and Bill Salmon was going to retire anyway. Um, and you know that that's not true. You know, you know that that can't possibly be. And yet, and, and yet as a reporter, you have to put the statement in from the company. Um, and so it just sort of makes a mockery of that experience and those sorts of messages. So in a way, it's all, all shocking, but it, in some, it, it sort of reinforces um, what you knew all along. And Sarah, can you describe, I mean, all all this was happening um, November, December. Um, We know that there was the insurrection on January the 6th. How much is it fair to implicate the behavior of Fox News in the whipping up of the sentiment that simply refused to accept that the election was fair? I mean, this is a this is the question that you know we can't really know, but Fox News is enormously powerful. It was the main mouthpiece for this message, and it's hard to imagine January sixth happening on the scale that it did without Fox News, and that's you know. I can't tell you, was it 75% responsible? Was it 25% responsible? You know, Donald Trump had a major megaphone on his own, but, but Fox really helped him. And, um, and that's what's, what's significant about this case is, is that it's not just about um, freedom of the press and, and having um, Fox held to account for telling these lies. And, and promulgating these lies, but the consequence 
was that we had an attack on our democracy. I mean, it was not, it, there was an attempt to not have a peaceful transfer of power. It was the ba most basic, um, the most basic attack on, an Amer on the oldest democracy in the world. And that's at Fox's feet. Matt, can I ask you what this means for journalism? At the moment, as we know, journalism is having a tough, almost existential time, mainstream news, in trying to persuade people that in a world of information chaos, we're the people you can rely on because we're tried and trusted and we have our craft of journalism. And yet, as Sarah characterizes, this is the most prominent news channel in in the largest democracy in the world, if we discount India for the moment, being shown to behave in a way that is completely dishonest and and lacking any scruples or honesty at all what what does that what does that do for the reputation of journalism generally well it's not great and and of course what it does is it reminds us that um we have to continue to monitor um pre-digital media as much as um we do digital media a lot of the discussion about fake news and uh, post truth and so on has focused understandably on social media and the main platforms but uh, but here we have a, a channel that was founded in 1996 and with the specific aim of creating precisely what it did which was an audience that um grew and grew and became uh as sarah said a sort of frankenstein's monster i mean the, le the lesson i think is that um media is changing in a way that w requires constant vigilance and and regulation is not keeping pace with it because technology is moving so fast but also because the the, the sort of um the culture of news is changing and i say in the piece that one of the the most important things that fox and trump have in common is that they're basically uh show business you know journalism uh there is you know there is a newsroom at fox but uh it's it, it's really secondary to the the um, the show that Roger Ailes designed, and the lineup of presenters. You know, they're a rep company of of cheerleaders for a certain kind of way of doing things, and they operate in in a world of 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 post truth in which you know facts are not really the and forensic in investigation and uh, deduction are not really the heart of the matter. The, the, the point is to to provide the audience with what they want. And this explains the astonishing hypocrisy that the, the documents reveal, where you know, uh, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity are quite open in that they don't believe Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, but they also are very, very concerned that um, the Fox News brand, the show, not be destroyed. And indeed, Carlson tries to get a, a reporter, Jackie Heinrich, Fox News reporter who has a temerity to tweet that the election was a secure one. This is on November the 12th, very early on. And, and Carson demands that she be sacked, even though he knows that she's telling the truth. And what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that we are, what we're looking at is a spectacle. We're not looking at a what we'd understand as a traditional newsroom or run by an editor with traditional news values. I think it's very alarming. And I think in the UK... We look at this, and there's a, there's a kind of inclination to see it as a, a 
Fox is exceptional. The American system is very different. And, and of course, they are. But how it's important not to be too sanguine, I think. Um, I mean, I say in the piece, imagine if the license fee is abolished in 2027, as many conservatives would like. Imagine if news is further deregulated, news platforms are further deregulated, and the the, the news um, ecosphere in this country becomes pretty much a free-for-all. Then would we be so certain that something like this couldn't happen here? I, I don't know. I, I certainly hope not. But I think it's it's dangerous to assume that this is a purely American story. This is This is a warning about the direction of travel of media and... You know, Fox is an outlier in that respect because it is both mighty and extremely um, kind of committed to this kind of uh, you know audience-pleasing journalism. But there's no reason to assume that it will be unique in years to come. Finally, Sarah, um, I mean, this seems like an open and shut case, and the, the judge has indicated that it will go to trial. Uh, and I know you've written a subsequent piece speculating on uh, the, the, there may there may yet be a settlement, but is is there any chance that the First Amendment, which protects free speech, could yet come to the rescue of Fox News, or do you is it a safe assumption that that Fox News will have to pay out over this? Well, that's that is of course the very big question that hangs over this case, and I have said sort of tongue-in-cheek, that leave it to Roger Ailes from beyond the grave to have been protected by the First Amendment all these years and made an astonishing amount of money from having that fantastic protection that we have in the United States and lose this case and then screw it up for the rest of us. Because what happens in a case like this is that if Fox actually... If Fox loses, there will be something in the law that will make it much more difficult for even honest news organizations to continue to have this exact same kind of freedoms. There will be a chilling effect um, when one news organization, however seemingly compromised, um, loses a case like this, it has a chilling effect on, on the rest of us. But just to answer your question more specifically... It, there's a very high bar in the United States to prove defamation and libel um, of a public figure. You have to prove that the journalist in question or the organization in question knew it was lying about something, knew what it was saying was false, and did so anyway. And that seems like clearly these internal documents sort of show that. But there's a very specific way in which that has to be true. There has people who are, you know, there's an argument that Fox has that Maria Bartiromo, one of its hosts, actually had questions about whether this conspiracy theory was actually was a conspiracy theory. She she kind of might have believed it. She was still in a um, in this process of honest inquiry, and Fox has also argued that it was covering a very newsworthy event. This was. You know, they didn't create these theories. Donald Trump and his surrogates created these theories. Would you have them not cover something that the president of the United States was saying? Um, so the judge in this case has seemed pretty unimpressed by those arguments. 
but it's not a slam dunk. And also there's the very real expectation on Fox's perspective that from Fox's camp that they will appeal if they lose this case. Um, this is a jury trial, um, which means that there's going to be, you know, a jury of our, our peers, just people off the street will come in and they, they get to decide the case. If it's appealed, it's in, in front of uh, just a, a panel of judges and, and the letter of the law might make a different decision than a jury would. So um, it's when I talk to legal scholars and experts, they say that, that they have not ever seen a case that is as strong as this one. Most libel cases involve one statement in one case, sorry, in one story. What you have here are months of repeated statements from dozens of people. And so you really have much more material to work with if you're Dominion. So it's a very strong case, and yet it's not a slam dunk. And what's astonishing is even as we're watching this all unfold, people who are watching Fox either aren't reading this coverage or don't care because their audience has held very steady. It's an amazing story. And watch this space because it, it's, it's clearly got weeks, if not months, to go. Thanks so much to Sarah and Matt for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, then grab a copy of our latest issue of Prospect Magazine, which includes Max, a really br- brilliant cover story on this subject, as well as writing from Stuart Jeffries about how 15-minute cities have become the latest target for conspiracy theorists and a debate between Nick McPherson, late of the Treasury and the Economist, and Petifer on whether austerity was necessary. And there's also a diary from the Ukrainian editor Sevgil Musayeva on day-to-day life in Kiev. And while you're here, why not subscribe to something slightly different, which is our Prospect Lives podcast, which is a monthly series of audio diary entries from our family of seven writers, including Sheila Hancock, Alex Goodman, and Mike Brearley. It's a joy. Sometimes it will make you laugh. Occasionally it might even make you cry. Thank you and see you next time.